This episode is brought to you by Simple Mobile. Tired of being tied down with a wireless contract? Switch to Simple Mobile and stay connected on a powerful nationwide 5G network. Unlimited talk, text, and data starts at $30 a month with no contracts, activation fees, or credit checks. Visit simplemobile.com today. Out with the old, in with the simple. Compatible 5G-capable device and SIM require. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. One month equals 30 days. See terms and conditions at simplemobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head-to-head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge-of-your-seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Good morning. It's not morning, Cliff. I have to tell you this every time. Every time. Morning when I listen to it. That's true. It is morning whenever people right. listen to it because it comes out at like 4 a.m. Um, hey, guys. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout um, where we hang out talk about hunting and fishing. We're really excited to have my good friend, William Townsend, with us. Say what's up, William, so people can see you. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, <laughs> Good to meet you. And we're going to be chatting with him about fishing the Texas coast. Uh, this episode, again, is being recorded uh, via Google, so we're not on our regular podcast equipment, so we apologize for the not-as-good audio. But if you want to see our beautiful faces, then you can go to YouTube and uh, watch us there. If you want to see what cliff looks like if you want to put the georgia accent to a face um <laughs> you can go to youtube <laughs> don't do it on my accord <laughs> um but uh we're gonna start right off with talking with william about fishing the texas coast william give us like a a little bio about yourself um what do you start with? Okay, yeah, I've been fishing my entire life. Grew up in South Texas. Uh, been fishing here. Did a lot of offshore bill fishing starting out. And this uh, got me into fly fishing because I was traveling to all these exotic locations. And uh, so when we were had the boat was down, we ended up uh, going down and fly fishing in the Bahamas or Bermuda or wherever we were at at the time. And that's kind of where my passion for fly fishing came from. After uh, after doing that and uh, guiding in Florida coast and the Panhandle, I came back to Texas and uh, started my quest here. I fished for several several years before I decided I was uh, equipped enough and ready to challenge myself as a guide. And uh, it's been a great experience, a fun experience the whole way. Now I'm an Orvis endorsed guide, 
and uh, and enjoy every minute of it. it. Has a lot of great clients and been a lot of fun. Um, since you since you brought up your start in dieting, one of our questions was actually about that. Um, what gave you the confidence to start dieting? Well, I mean, uh, it's knowledge of the water that you're actually going to fish in the areas you fish. Um, having enough insight to know what, where to be, what to be, and and uh, and being in, you know, and putting all that information together: tides, chart, you know, uh, wind, where protected water. Just gathering that information as far as a logbook and keeping records for yourself. Uh, and it, you know, I spent five or six years probably before I committed myself to a fly fishing guide uh you know i wanted to be a great fly caster and then i wanted to be a great you know fly you know fly tire if you're a guide you should be tying flies so i developed that and then my cast and then uh just spent many many years uh every day i mean i went one stretch where it was 120 days on the water uh fishing every day every condition uh, mm. didn't matter rain shine didn't matter 120 straight days and then uh i fished and caught fish and uh and guided pulled and guided and then did the same thing that same year i went to louisiana and spent uh, three four weeks in louisiana and did the same thing there um and then came back here and uh started my quest as a guide i was older when i started fly fishing here how old were you when you started guiding when i started guiding here i was in my mid 40s so mm -hmm. this is about my seventh year i guess mm -hmm. as a full-time guide uh you know i just felt like you had to have enough experience mm -hmm. uh and knowledge of the water even though i fished it my entire life growing up as a kid baffin bay and port aransas and rockport uh there's just so much knowledge you you have to gain in confidence you know every time you get on the boat you've got to have a confidence you have an a game a b game and a c game uh and that kind of you know dictates what what you do because uh, you could run to your a game and then there's somebody else there or another boat blew the flat right when you got there or the fish just aren't there and you just have to make that move you know and uh go to your b game and uh it's been fairly successful you know uh and a lot of young guides uh the younger that uh you know in their 20s they just start out they everybody wants to be a guide it's a i guess a sexy thing to do nowadays um <laughs> they don't realize how much work it's you've got to put in and uh it's not if you think that catching fish and releasing, oh, we caught 20 fish, double digit days and this, that, that's not what the experience of your client is about. Hmm. And once you gain the understanding that it's not about you and how many fish your client you put on and they caught and released, it's about their time on the water and how good was their experience. Then it really, you kind of get it you then you understand it uh it could be a one fish day 
and you could have the best day on the water uh, and uh, for that client because it's about them. It's not about you. It's not, you know, some people come down here and it's their only day off or they're younger and it's like they saved up all their money to come and you better make sure that they have the best time and it's uh it's all about them and you put the client first and put your needs second and it could just be a teaching experience i mean you get on the water a lot of people don't understand salt water is not a freshwater scenario uh what i call a western style fly fishing you don't have protection anywhere so it's blowing 20 you know and, and uh, you got to learn you got to learn how to work with the wind and uh and so it's it's about teaching uh and their experience on the water good conversation <laughs> especially when it's slow <laughs> um what i i would say that um you are the best guide that i know with beginners in saltwater because um, I think a lot of what you just said is you try to make the experience good for them, no matter their skill, skill level. Um, but I also, you don't bring that old crusty salty guide <laughs> attitude with you out on the boat. Uh, with, with that being said, what do you, or what tools do you think someone that's never saltwater fished basic tools that they need to have to come down and go fishing? A double haul. Yeah. That's not basic. <laughs> it's not basic. And it's not basic, but uh, it's hard to fish the coast without a double haul. Um, you know, practice uh, does isn't a punishment. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, I think a lot of people, they say they don't have time or they don't do this. You have to practice fly casting. Uh, and you, if you're going to be in saltwater, you got to, you got to be on your game. You know, you got to really practice. And accuracy, if you can get line out of the rod at 30 feet with some sort of accuracy, I can definitely put you on fish the problem the problem comes with the haul is is when it could be a slicked out glass morning and you know that we have a sea breeze every day at one o'clock so you know it's going to be 15 to 20. so having that double haul allows you to fish in that windy condition um i always say working with the wind is 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 uh using the wind to your advantage and most people freak out you know but i go out with gopros all the time and film me and my buddies and or my brother or anybody when we're out fun fishing in 30 mile an hour plus wind sand's just blowing through the dunes and we're like we're getting it done today and uh it's just yeah. and being able to do that and produce and we can day in and day out you can do it but somebody comes in for the first time and they had an Orvis 101 class or the beginner and then they fly to Colorado and they they catch trout in Colorado and then the next thing they want to do is catch a redfish so they call me up and I ask them experience and what a double haul is practice this and that 
and they generally don't practice. Uh, usually the rod goes back in the tube, back in the thing, and thrown in their closet and come back. So if you get out and practice uh, and at least can get 30 feet and at least understand the concept of hauling and double hauling, it's all timing, rhythm, tracking. If you can get that down, you, you know, your success and your fun on the water just es escalates because then we can do multiple different things. My beginners, I like to get out of the boat, as Landon and Zach know. It's just like, uh, not that y'all are beginners. I'm not saying that, but what I, I like the, the yeah for salt. Um, for, I'll, I'll be a beginner. <laughs> you know, when you when you get off the boat, you 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 eliminate one moving object. So then I can work with that client and position them correctly and use the wind to their advantage to uh to increase their success rate and i think that's where i've excelled at is uh is uh, increasing their success and uh and the you know so i think we discussed it earlier landing you cut me off if you want but it's uh practice and i said during this off season like uh, january and february I'm usually in Louisiana, but this year with COVID, I, I'm back home. So what did I do in January and February? Well, I don't cast every day. I'm on the water 200 days a year, you know, 150, 200 days a year pulling a boat. So that's what I practice in my off season or off time. And it could be an hour, two hours, three hours in the park. Me and some buddies got in a park last weekend and practiced for I think it was five hours. We put drills together. We casted anything from 12 weights to uh, five weights to mid flex rods to fast action rods. We had a blast and it's fun. And uh, we did distance competitions. We did, you know, uh, accuracy type competitions between the five of us. And it uh, really humbles you, you know, how good people are and, and what you need to work on. And then I take that, come back home and practice. And then that way, when I go on the water, my success rate, uh, or if it is blowing 30 miles an hour, or if it is overcast and, you know, uh, and windy, that I can increase my success rate on the water, which is my fun. We, we have fun, you know, and be able to produce yeah so um let me see what other questions we got uh for these are ones are from listeners william um what's the best advice for a fly angler fishing from a kayak along the texas coast well one is is uh really do your research you know uh where access is no you know if, if you're going to be in uh this like north padre island port a learn where you can get in and out learn where the water the deeper water spots that are on the flats you know think is that's where you're going with it access points um and uh you know flight flight fly casting a kayak i haven't done much I see a lot of people doing it. Um, you know, my first thing is, is which it's funny, nobody thinks about it, is uh, there's a lot of critters out there that, uh, you know, so 
rattlesnakes are my biggest fear. And, uh, you know, we had one of our clients, Landon, when your Orvis clients, uh, Jeff, Jeff and I got chased off a flat by about a five foot rattlesnake uh, last summer. We were waiting flat, fish mullet were busting all around us. And I'm looking, you know, I'm pretty zoned into what I'm finding fish for my client. We're walking and all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, oh, that didn't look, that looks funny. And next thing you know, it looks back at me and it's like 150 <laughs> feet away and it's beelining full speed at me. And it's like a five foot rattlesnake. <laughs> I grab his rod and say, get to the shore quick. And I started slapping the rod, rods on the water. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I have this fly rod, you know, and so I'm sitting there beating the water and the snake comes right up to me and then swims about 20 feet away and just sitting there like oh. eyeballing me. You know? And I'm sitting there and my client's like, you know, getting back to shore after the fish, the snake went off. I, uh, I turned to him and he came back to me. He goes, well, he didn't know what was going on. He goes, was it a big red fish? And I was like, why, would I, why would I take your rod and beat the water if it was a red fish? I was like, no, it's a rattlesnake. Look at him going off, you know? And he was like, you know, and he kind of like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't think about those things. And I see a lot of them in the marsh. And uh, so safety, as far as being on a kayak, lots of alligators. You know, if depending on what back back river, back delta type brackish water you're in, you know, one time I was waiting and my brother was pulling the skiff with uh, a friend of his on the shoreline and I was out waiting and uh, he came back and picked me up out of the boat about an hour later. He goes, dude, you had like six alligators just eyeing you all around you. I was like, why didn't you pick me up sooner? <laughs> he went fishing. And I'm like, dude, I'm in the water and you're seeing them and you're pulling near them and, and just watching them. So, you know, there is, you got to be aware of your surroundings, you know, uh, is the main thing. Safety is my big, big issue on the boat and everything. And uh, so being in a kayak, that would be my one priority is uh anywhere mangroves but just watching the shorelines you know uh reading your maps and charts where you can get out you know is there sand is there inlets anywhere there's water flow flowing into a back lake uh if you know you know i'm i'm really on top of my tide charts and what the tides are doing through that day and uh if i'm further south i'm really uh in tune to with the uh when the majors and minors of uh, feeding habits are down south being baffin bay and south you don't have a lot of tidal flow so um you don't get a lot of water movement like you would in port a big big jetty inlets lots of water moving in and out tide drops up and down down south you don't have that so keeping uh knowing when the majors and minors are happening throughout the day is uh, very important to be in on sand and you know as far as fishing activities so i is as, as a kayak angler or wader coming into some area i would want to know when those movement water movements are and be located on a flat or a lake a back lake where that water is either flooding or or outgoing uh, 
you know, as far as that goes, is that kind of sum up your, <laughs> that kind of question? Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, we, you kind of already answered, we always ask every guest two questions. You already kind of answered one. How do you, how'd you start fishing? Um, the other one we always ask, what's the most memorable fish you've caught? And then maybe let's add another caveat to that. What's the most memorable day with a client you've had? Oh, I like that. Well, I tell you what, I, that's a good one. So with a client and we all know Mel, right? Yeah. And she started off in Louisiana last year, January. Was that it or February? Mm -hmm. And she got on the boat and she couldn't, she was learning and she, I was sitting there trying to coach her along the way, but she was just starting out and I didn't know that. And I asked her later that day, I was, at the end of the day, I was like, uh, so we had a tough trip. I asked her, I was like, so what, uh, why, why, why do you, why did you decide to come to Louisiana <laughs> to fish for bull reds? And it's your first trip ever on the coast. And, uh, and she said, I wanted to meet you. Landon said oh. I had to meet you. And I was like, and you and this is the best time. So I was like, okay. So I tell you what, we fished from March through December. And we fished four, three to four days a month. And we went back this past December. And I spent four days on the water with her in Louisiana. And she crushed it. We, mm. I taught her fly casting to double haul. She practiced and she got it down and we caught fish all summer long, but you know, to go back to Louisiana and, uh, she caught a 35, couple of 30 plus pound bull reds on fly. And she caught a 60 something pound black drum. It was like, she's tiny and it was dwarf. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible, you know? And she was like, I can't repeat what she says, you know, I don't want to say what she said when she saw how big that black drum was or the reds, but, uh, she crushed it. And, uh, awesome. you know, it was kind of a proud moment and we, it was actually almost, you know, 10, 11 months to the day she came to Louisiana from her first trip and to see her catch that, you know, it's not Texas, but to see how she progressed throughout the year, back cast, forward cast, you know, yeah, double hauling into wind, you know, she just amazing, you know, and, and, and caught a huge fish, a bunch wow. of them, actually. I, I think that story is a good, like, maybe thing for people to think about as far as, like, Melanie put in work for almost a year for it yeah. to, for, and she was going fishing a couple times a month with you. I was doing casting lessons with her as well she was putting in a major effort to make improvement. And so, and she wasn't bad going into it either. Um, she had done some fishing before, not saltwater, but that kind of gives maybe people an idea. I don't want to scare anybody with saying you're going to have to put in a year's worth of work to make improvements. But at the same time, it's pretty realistic. Like what you were saying earlier to, you need to have some skills if you really want to be really successful at, catching redfish yeah it's like no, you're saying go ahead no i was just saying like emphasizing the practice and the actual mm -hmm. work you said it may not take a year but you gotta you gotta commit to it if you want to go out there 
Yeah, and you know, it, if if you want to be successful, you know, Texas, Texas is a training ground, and that's what I really stress about it. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to travel, and they travel, and they want to tra- with their families. They want to travel with their fly rod because that's start becoming their tool. Uh, and you know, anywhere you go in the coastal environment, anywhere in the world you have a sea breeze and you have no protection. So it, it does. Yeah. She was committed and it's an art form and you have to have some commitment to, you know, to be successful. I'm not saying you have to do it like she did, but she, uh, she is that type of person though. And, uh, and it comes full back, but then getting back to Melanie, who's now I told her, we're booked now for four days in March. And I said, okay, yeah, she's like, what's a program? I said, square one. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I go, we're going to start with your cast and we're going to go. The first charter she has is actually not a charter at all. We're going to be at a park on grass and we're going to be working on her cast and uh, from square one again. And we're going to be breaking that cast down and taking her to another level in her casting. Uh, and it it's gonna be about accuracy, distance, learning the idea of tracking. But what I'm gonna do is give her the tools to go home and work on one thing, you know? Okay, I'm just gonna work on my tracking, meaning my, my fly flies through the air, or I'm gonna go work on my back cast, how to create a tight loop in your back cast very important in different different aspects because she wants to catch tarpon big tarpon and you got to be able to if you go to the keys you want to be able to pick up and throw 80 feet and how and efficiently fast and accurately well how do you do that you know and it doesn't matter if you're a hundred pound woman or or six foot seven guy it's not about strength and in that it's about how do you how do you build up the power, speed, efficiency in your cast to be able to do that? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're starting because uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of offshore trips this year. Uh, we we just purchased a brand new uh, Haney boat, 25-foot V-boat, specifically for fly fishing charters offshore. And we're going to be targeting uh, anything from cobia, tarpon, uh, kingfish, snapper, uh, sharks and all this on the fly and it's taking my clients to another level and that way when they do travel they learn how to fight big fish on fly rods because that's a whole art form in itself and uh and doing different things i like my clients to have uh diversity because a lot of my clients charted me three days four days at a time and i don't want to take them to the same spot every day and do the same thing so we're either waiting or we're back in the marsh pulling a boat mud or we're back in the mangroves or we're offshore so anything can happen my clients just say they just say hey i book you what are we doing today and i was like ah you know i'll call you in the morning and meet you it's like we show up at the dock and i'll have a 25 foot boat there it's like that's a big pulling skiff i'm headed offshore Yeah, we're doing something different. And I, I like that. And my clients do too. Uh, it gives yeah. them uh, 
a different view of Texas. Texas has a lot to offer. I'm very proud mm. to be back here. I fished all around the world and I uh, elected to do this here, you know, and it's a training ground. It's perfect for it. And I, there's uh, me and William have been chatting for a while about getting a honey hole offshore trip. So Zach, um, Ian and Cliff, <laughs> keep your ears oh, posted. Yeah. yeah we might go that's... shoot some video. Right. Yeah. I'm um, all about it. Um, let's talk about, we got another question about the fish kill. Yeah. Um, from the snowpocalypse we got, um, would you talk about that and how everything's affected right now? Well, uh, like I say, I, I'm just seeing a lot of what's happening. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm friends with everybody, you know, I don't get along with everybody has different walks of life. Uh, some are fly fishermen, some are conventional, some are bait fishermen. And, uh, and, uh, so I keep, uh, tabs on what they're doing and, uh, and they're good friends and they call me up and it's, it's been, uh, you know, a lot of my friends, conventional guides that are lure fishermen only, you know, for big trout this time of year. And, uh, they're all they're all gone catch and release, uh, which is a good thing. Um, hmm. The trout population has been pretty uh, devastating. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, fishing's great and it's not. Okay, uh, I don't believe that because it wasn't great before the freeze, you know, as far <laughs> as, you know, as far as, you know, what. And I'm thinking back. River, I'm an I'm an old guy, so <laughs> when you look back 20, 30 years ago, it was amazing, and uh, and so now you hear all these guys saying how how great it is, but it it's gonna be a tough year. Uh, yeah, it it is. Uh, the drum and the redfish, I think, are gonna be, you know, better off. Um, but as far as like trout and tra chasing trophy trout, it's gonna be a, a tough year. Um, the fish kill you know if you if you just look at the game fish species that we track you know flounder trout redfish and black drum but if you take all their food source that have died all the mullet all the skipjack all the uh pinfish all the you know grass shrimp everything that died you know uh and it's all as you saw in photos of my canal, I posted an yeah, yeah, millions. I think uh, I okay. Let me try to share the screen. So if you're on, if you're listening on the podcast, you're not gonna be able to see this. But um, let me try to share this. That picture blew me away. I think it was the first like so people, people have been sharing it. pictures on people have been showing pictures online, but that was the first one. Was like you really saw the impact of it. You can't even see the water. Like no, oh, it's yeah. it's solid yeah. white. I, yeah. I, you, oh man. Luckily, the wind's blowing because you yeah. <laughs> Can you guys see that? Yeah, yeah, we got it. That's the that's that's all dead fish. That's supposed to be all water. <laughs> yes, that's supposed yeah. to be all water. That's in my canal, and we have uh, one, two, three, four, about eight maybe 10 canals in our subdivision and they're all every one of them's like that now granted somebody's gonna say oh that's all mullet 
or uh, you know or bait fish and how does that affect well i mean that that's their food source right, right? and they're all wiped out dead you know floating around so i think uh you know and as much as i my clients hear me cuss mullet a lot you know uh it's they have a reason to be be there and uh and they're being that they're cleaning the water system or filtering the water system or or in the bait fish you know that's what brings it that's what makes our area is so special is is all the diversity of, of fish and bait fish and everything so when you wipe out all the food source i mean can you think about the crabs and the shrimp that have died that you don't see you yeah. know and yeah. so how is that going to affect everything hey, and so get, go ahead hey uh cliff didn't you have an article um about texas parks and wildlife uh seeing what uh, recommendations on uh, fishing was that you I was talking to about earlier uh, it's not can y'all hear me yeah yeah, I've been yeah. the whole time um, it's not about uh, recommendations on fishing but Texas Parks and Wildlife are asking people or the public for input on Texas saltwater fishing and on Texas freshwater fishing I skimmed through them real quickly, um, and it seems like the freshwater stuff is all on like channel and blue catfish on various lakes throughout the state. Um, if you're interested in that, you can go to Texas Parks and Wildlife News and Media slash new releases. This came out today um, for more information there. For saltwater, they are asking for public comment on following proposed changes to the 2021 and 22 statewide recreational fishing proclamation allowing the re recreational only use of crab traps on docks and piers in some currently restricted areas of Aransas County and to clarify red snapper bag limits when fishing in Texas and federal waters the public is encouraged to provide comment proposal regulation changes and input will be considered before any action is taken by the texas parks and wildlife commission oh, okay so, so this wasn't related to redfish no or... no it nothing was specifically okay. like redfish so, so uh, william I, what are you, william what are you hearing uh well okay so if you talk to a fly fishing guide or you talk mm -hmm. to a uh, a purist conventional guy meaning using lures and plugs that already release a lot you know i would say 80 percent of their fish it's pretty devastating yeah uh if you talk to a bait fisherman see they they get their money their charters are based on their photos of dead fish hanging on a on a wood plaque right and uh and so that's how they make their money so they're saying it's how great it is right because you know? everybody's <laughs> desperate to eat yeah well they're gonna and you know i i've talked to many guides about this and the sad part of it even when we it was good i asked one of my guide buddies who 
uh, acquaintance that that bait fishes, and he's very very good. And he said that I was like, how much? How many fish do you think get freezer bird out of that? He goes, oh, I bet ninety percent of oh, every get you know free people throw them in their freezer and forget about it and it's yes. done yeah. and uh you know and the sad part about it that's how they built their business and they're fishing they were fishing the day after the freeze they didn't care really? oh yeah it's just it's uh, to me it's like i i don't understand it it's not my way of doing things uh but you know, so they're fishing today. They're you know, um, they're they're out there. I've already seen pictures on Facebook and Instagram. You know, full uh, limits of reds and drum. And then yeah. I've heard of ads already being uh, thrown up there. Hey, you know, speckled trout may be hurt, but the redfish sure do taste good. So come on down and we'll. So so you're taking one wow. fishery that's really hurt, and now you're gonna say, okay, now I'm gonna go hurt another you know the black drum and the red fit you're gonna you know let's go target them and we'll crush them you know right so it's like you know as far as texas parks and wildlife it, it would be amazing if they do anything here yeah. my theory is hey there's going to be another catastrophic event in another couple of weeks there always is it seems like nowadays yeah. and <laughs> pe- people will forget they're going to forget it's yeah. going to be you know and they're going to, you know, that's kind of why I made that post on Instagram that y'all saw. It's just like, hey, you know, we have such a short-minded view of things that people aren't going to care and they're going to quit. Yeah, so they'll be back at it full speed. And, you know, well, my what, big... What do, you think, what do you think they should do? If Texas Parks and Wildlife was going to get involved, do you think they should lower the bag limits oh, for this for season? Sure. They did it in 83 and 89. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is, there's nothing bad, you know, there's nothing good about this. When you see, uh, I've seen posts of, uh, of a fly fishing guy down south, Ben Pascal, he sent posts of how devastating the sea trout have been down in Mansfield North. Uh, you know, that, uh, yeah, they should. I mean, knock it down to three fish, you know, and three trout you know 15 to 20 inches you know okay mm-hmm. but then they their biggest gripe is who's going to pay seven eight hundred dollars to go catch a limit of three trout you know right. and so it's like well you know you're just gonna have to figure that out my thing you know right. i i've always i haven't uh i would say that in each year we probably consume maybe 12 fish a year a dozen, maybe, maybe two dozen black drums specifically. Or I'll never kill a redfish, never. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and why would I kill what my income is? You know, yeah. uh, and black drum are prolific, and they still commercially harvest them. But you know, um, not that that's anything. But I only I kill like my brother and I want fish tacos. We'll go catch two or three black drum come back home belay them right then boom they're in they're cooked and ate that night right right you know and uh but the problem is is uh, texas is all about throwing killing a fish putting nailing it onto a board taking a photo throwing it in a cooler and then throwing it in the freezer and then that's it so yeah those 
Hmm. And I'm not saying all of them, but those guides are the way I look at it is their lifespan is is short. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Well, I think there guy, ha- I think there has to be a good balance because I think I've kept fish. I don't have any problem with keeping fish. But at the same time, you know, wanting to be like a conservationist, you know, in times that are really bad, you know, I don't have any problems adjusting the regulations or and I think Zach and Ian and Cliff would probably agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um because I well, think the the health of the fishery getting it back to normal that way if people want to keep more fish they can yeah you know it's the thing is to be honest it's cheaper to go to HEBs to get fish it's cheaper to go to a commercial outlet than it is to pay me seven hundred dollars a day for you know a couple of pounds of fillets you know what i mean it's just the numbers don't yeah. add up yeah. it just doesn't make sense and uh you know yeah being that i'm probably the definitely the oldest in this group we have going uh i remember when the, there were were no limits and then there was 25 limits and then there was you know 15 10 limits and now mm-hmm. they're five so you know it's if you can see that downward climb yeah. you would already think hey you know what if you were thinking in the future some of these guys maybe the release shot is a good thing uh, you know, yeah, because yeah. you could, you need to start gearing your clients that way because, uh, nobody's going to pay that much money to, I mean, I'm talking about the, the guys going to do the kill shots, you know, mm-hmm. right. they, you know, so you have yeah. to sl- adapt your business for that. I definitely think that there is a population that is only there for like the kill shot, like grip and grin style, but back to your comment of, you can go to HEB and pay the $15 or whatever it is for a fillet of fish or pay the $700 for the guided trip. But I think most people like us would say like, you're paying that money for the trip, for the experience, not necessarily the fish, because it's not exactly. like if we got skunked the whole day, we get any of that money back. Right. Yeah. So exactly. really for the experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, and, that, and that's why I I uh, it, it, the fly if you when you start out fly fishing, you're just like you just pick the hardest sport on earth other than <laughs> golf. Okay? Golf is like the, mentally the most depressing one. But uh, but fly fishing That's true. It's like, I can't stand golf. <laughs> it's, it's it's the hardest you know, fly fishing is the hardest thing to do. And so you already know those clients aren't geared that way. You know, they're not thinking that already. Uh, They already either had experience from the past and now they're advancing their, their, their sport, their field or their hobby. And they just turned to fly fishing. And, uh, and I think it's an unbelievable, it's a very humbling sport uh you can definitely you have highs and lows but uh you're right it's all about the experience and if you make it about the experience uh i have a hard time sometimes keeping clients focused on 
looking for fish when they're looking at you know blue herons on the on the shorelines or they're looking at you know pelicans or rosettes is that a rosette spoonbill i was like i don't know but you just missed that redfish you know <laughs> keep it focus please you know? It's like, you know it's but it you know it, it's fun and uh and I always tell everybody who comes on the boat, I was like, the first thing I say is this is a stress-free zone. This 18-foot is stress-free. This is all about you. Don't stress out. Don't, you know, it, you know, if you have problems with your cast, I'm here to, to help you. I'm here to enhance your experience. If you, uh, you know, if you want to look on the shoreline all day, that's fine with me. You know, it's it's great. You know, I just want you to have the best experience, you know, I, and I'll teach you along the way. But it's just there's so many people that don't understand that, you know, uh, maybe they get out to fish once a year, or three times a year. And then they uh, so they hire a guide and they go fish and they catch five drum or 10 drum and then they catch five, three reds and then they go take their photo in front of it and uh well and it's just you know during this time it's like something's got to change you know because if, if yeah. i doubt they will but if they do put some regulations up what are those and uh how would you adapt your business if that's what your business is based on you know because not those same people probably won't be wanting to pay seven, eight hundred dollars for, for you know, three trout and one red, and you know what I mean. And mm -hmm. it's gonna make more work for the guides. Uh, the biggest thing is if croaker, if croaker was made a game fish and they couldn't use it as a bait, but it's a huge industry. Uh, croaker is like crack to speckled trout. So if you know how to croaker fish, I mean, it's just like a no-brainer. You, you roll out at 6 in the morning, catch your limit of trout in 30 minutes. You know, five guys catch your limit on croaker in 30 minutes, and then they move on to drum and reds. And the, the hard part about it is a lot of these, uh, and there's some of them are my friends. They're good people. It's just they have a different viewpoint, uh, is that they go and uh, they'll – their idea is a full box, be it trout, full limited trout, full limited drum, and a red, they're back at the dock. So I was launching my boat at eight in the morning one day. And uh, so I was sitting there at eight and a guide was already coming back with his charter at like 8.15, 8.20, already limited out on drum and trout. And he was picking up his second charter to go back out and then at so 8 there's 15. A, oh yeah nine you know nine o'clock the next charter shows up and then they fish to 11 and then the next charter shows up um so we have a lot of guides down here that uh, consider a day of fishing uh a box so you have the box and so they get 700 bucks for a full box not a full day a full you know a limit of fish and so they're doing it three times a day and june july and august they'll be running six you know when how can you run 60 trips in june when there's only 30 days and then they run 60 trips in july <laughs> or you know it's, it's just it's crazy and people don't know that 
that people do it, but they're doing it all the time. And there's several, several. So you take, a, if a guy did an eight hour trip and he catches say 25 fish or 30 fish and that's his box, pulled or back. Okay. Had a good day, but that's not it. They do that three times right. in one day. Yeah. Then you're looking at one guide with a hundred and some fish and you do that with a hundred guides. And you're looking at thousands of fish, right? And then you do that seven days a week, and it's it just do the math. It's like how does how does it sustainable? But and, doesn't uh, what in Texas parks Texas Parks and Wildlife put that in consideration when setting some limits? No, well, they the problem is is a charter, a full day charter should be the day, right? Yeah. That's what my clients, I pull them around all day 20 long for eight or hours. 12 hours or eight yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, these guys, it's a full box. So if that's, uh, if it takes them 30 minutes or three hours to get their full box, that's their deal. And they're back at, and they got that next charter lined up. You know, they pick up the phone call and, hey, we're at the dock. Come pick us up, you know, or come, come down here. So uh, that, I don't know how Texas Parks and Wildlife, and I've talked to all of them every time I see them, and they just say, well, what do we do? You know, they just, <laughs> and it's like that during this time is going to be difficult, you know? Because and, and I'll, the, the, the way my mind's running on it, and I'll put this caveat on it, I've never chartered in the state of Texas to go like offshore or deep sea fishing or anything like that. But in my mind, it would be my understanding that each person getting on the boat to go fish would also have to have a fishing license, which would have their limits and stuff for them on there. Is that, would that not be the case? No. Well, the limits are already set in place. So it's just like uh, three reds, five trout, and uh, I mean five drum or whatever. And that's per uh, person on the boat. Per person on yeah. the boat. So if you have five guys on the boat, that's, you know, that's five and five, 10 and three, 13, 13 times five, you know, do the math, somebody smarter than me, <laughs> you know, and then that's, they consider that a full box, you know? And so they'll go out and limit trout first thing in the morning. Then the next thing is they're on the drum limit those out and then the next thing they go look for red now the reds are are more difficult so if they only catch one or two that's fine you know they have a full box and then uh so that is their day for that client that's their trip so then they'll run a second one they'll go back take them to the dock take the photos lay their fish clean them the next guy shows up the next charter shows up boom they're back out on the water do the same scenario and it's a system and that and that's what really hurts the fishery uh texas parks and wildlife should say something about hey you can only run one trip a day be it a, a four hour or an eight hour or a 12 hour you know what do you you know uh, but they, there is no limitations on that so if i wanted to run like sometimes i run two fly fishing trips two half days eight to 12, pick up the next group and fish two to six. In the summer, you can do that. Um, 
which it's no big deal. You know, I, we release everything, but, uh, yeah. so, uh, but what I, I don't get on the kill limitations. It's like, no, it's five new guys come on. So it's new limits for them. And so they run three trips in which they're making almost $3,000 a day doing that. Some of these guys, I was just doing the math in my head when you said 703 trips or more times. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I can understand why they would do that with the business, but to your point in some, some people may say that's just exploiting the resource because it's more about like, there is no limit on how much, how many fish they can take. Right. Well, because of the, the metrics is what, well, you like you said, it's, it's short sighted because they're only thinking yes. this season, but next season, if they've depleted the population and didn't give them a chance to recoup, then what? Yeah. Their clients are going to go out and get half their limit. Yeah. You know. I, I, I don't know how, you know, and COVID was a weird, this past year was crazy, crazy. I've never, I mean, the boat sales are through the roof. Uh, the, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And it was seven days a week. Uh, you know, I typically pick up my charters. I mean, we're waiting for the sun to come up, be nice. And most of these people are on vacation, so they don't want to be up at five in the morning, you know, to go. They're with their families. And so I'll pick them up at eight. We'll get on the water and we'll go. I would have to get in line to launch my boat uh, sometimes at five in the morning just to launch my boat to be in the water to pick up my charter by eight. So three hours. Actually, some of my, I would launch the day before, the night before I run it to my house and park my boat behind my house. So I didn't have to wait in line for hours and hours. Uh, all the boat ramps were full. It's, uh, it was pretty, pretty insane season. And uh, so, you know. So William, you I read an article about this recently, but did you see a drastic increase during COVID and people wanting to fish and be outside and things like that? Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. I had one of my yeah. best, as far as fly fishing, I had one of my best seasons, you know. Uh, yeah. it, was in, it was incredible. You know, we were going nonstop, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and which is a good thing. Um, but most of... Uh, it's just different because I release everything. I don't see that I'm hurting a fishery. I never fish the same spot with the same person. I'm always, you know, jumping around to different areas. And, uh, and because of that, I don't, I don't believe in going just hammering fish in one area and then come back and hammer them again with some, the next day with somebody on top of it. I, I believe that, you know, everything needs to breathe you know so just have a rest uh their boats boat traffic was insane it was just out of this world I mean, so many uh but i think everybody wanted to be in the outdoors you know that was their thing yeah i just read an article about that uh today in a fly fishing magazine and they were saying i don't know if this applies to the coast but they were just saying it there was exponential growth, like more than they've ever seen, like 150% increase. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, I'm on the water a lot, but it was, it was considerably like it was busy, you know? Yeah. And a lot of newcomers and a lot of regulars, you know, uh, you know, 
uh, tournaments are another big thing. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can that need to change this year, but I, like I say, I think uh, I think you're gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see what Texas Parks and Wildlife shows up when they start doing their surveys. You know, because yeah. uh, like all the tarpon are probably dead here. All the snook are probably gone, unless the the jetty snook and jetty tarpon. That's different. Right. But all of them, like in my canals, all the tarpon are dead. And that, and it happened three years ago. Uh, yeah. My brother and I personally went out. And we we collected for the institute here. We collected, uh, I think it was 30, 36 tarpon and 120 something snook. That was just out of my canals. And that was in that freeze in 2017, I think. Yeah. And so this was worse. So they're all gone now. Yeah. You know, it's had a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you go on the shoreline, you know, from the causeway, um, SPID headed to North Padre Island. We just went and had dinner, and uh, there's reds and drum all dead on the shoreline. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm going to go take photos of it because I wanted to go see what they were. There was one huge one. It looked like a tarpon, you know. <laughs> and it, it had to be something like that. But, you know, so uh, people, it just depends who you look at. If you're looking at uh, the purest conventional style fishermen and you look at the fly fishermen, uh, it's pretty devastating. Uh, if you look at the, the people that don't, that conventional fish, but they're bait fishermen. Yeah. It's, it's fishing's great. And right. you know, there's fish everywhere. Do you think people should be comfortable catching releasing right now? Why not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why, why not? Right. If you can do it safely, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the other argument is, is, Oh, we raise redfish. You know, we raise trout and we'll release those. Well, how long is it going to take for fry to get to a legal limit? Right. You know, it's like it it's it's it takes a couple of years, two or three years for yeah. something to rebuild and replenish. And uh, I think as far as red fishing and black drum for my fly fishing clients, we're going to have a blast this year. I mean, it's going to be good. It's not going to be a problem, but I think for people chasing trout yeah it's going to be an issue um i think it's going to be tougher yeah it definitely is uh but it you know that's a challenge you know it may not be where you go out and see 60 to 100 redfish a day it may be where you go see 20 or 30 you know which is a good day so practicing your cast would be a good point (laughs) (laughs) make the most of what you get (laughs) yeah exactly you know it always comes back to that, but yeah, hey, it. Go ahead. Uh, what flies do you like to use? Uh, my go-to fly. I don't know if you can see it on the camera. Is this? Oh yeah, yeah. You can see it. Oh, so this, cool, yeah. This is a uh, coyote shrimp. Now it's a little fancied up. We got a little. Uh, it's black eyes, number one hook, and. Uh, or, you know, I do this in various sizes. This just happens to have a number one hook. And I don't know if y'all can see it, but um, it's real all natural. But I'll tie this in a number four, number six, all the way up to even on the other side of the spectrum to a two-aught uh, for offshore, you know, with uh, micro eyes all the way up to extra large eyes, heavy yeah. weighted. Um, but I, I usually tie up you know 
a couple of hundred of these uh, for summer. You've probably seen this, Zach. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> Landon land may have. Yeah. I don't remember. I, <laughs> I use this a lot, and it's a good fly because, you know, when I'm with the fishing with clients, uh, I like to capitalize on multiple species. So uh, that fly has been good for drum and reds and even trout. So that way, if, if we're not, you know, if we're, if we, that way we can capitalize on catching drum and capitalize on catching reds, uh, having a good fly that's universal. A lot of flies I use for newbie, newbie clients, real, uh, getting in or the first time is I'll tie on a crab pattern and I'll use a crab pattern, uh, kind of something similar to this, you know, uh, a little black crab, uh, or this is a little larger, same sort of type thing. Uh, and I'll use, uh, crabs because they're learning and they just don't know how to strip. A lot of times you can throw a crab out and the fish will hit with with it sinking or floating in the water you know what i mean mm -hmm. so uh, you get a kind of a different type of reaction where as a new client who's learning how to strip or learning how, you know all of a sudden next thing you know it's walk mock speed stripping in i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa slow down <laughs> you know it's you know so yeah so it just depends on the situation but i i definitely that uh, coyote clouser is kind of my go-to uh number one fly Hey, what do you think about uh, flies that are flounder imitations? <laughs> you mean the the Lucasi fly? The Lucasi fly, because it's made out of leather. That's where Landon and I first met, and I was like, I don't think they've heard the story. If you want to tell it, yeah. So uh, we were fishing out of the lodge down south, and uh, Landon shows up and. You know, we met the night before and we talked and and then he we go and it's me and Mike and Landon on the boat and we're gonna go fish the sand and and uh we're gonna jump out and wade. And so Landon goes, What do you think about this fly? You know? <laughs> and I'm I look at it and it's like this just a leather patch, you know. It's a good type fly. I mean, it looked like a flounder, you know. <laughs> but it's like how does that thing even fly through the air? You know, it's like, and I was like, Hey man, you know, it's like I say, it's your tr trip, your charter. You can use whatever you want, but I would never use that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you're not going to catch anything on it, but Hey, go for it. And I took off with my client. Next thing you know, he's landing yelling, Hey, hook up. And he, <laughs> he, he caught two or three fish on that thing that day, that day on that, that fly and I could not believe it, you know? Uh, and so Landon at the end of the trip, he's like, I'm going to give you this fly. This is yours. And so I was like, all right, cool. I kept it. And I was like, you know, so the next day I go out with two of my friends, real good fly fishermen, real good, you know, the sport. And, uh, I just for shits and giggles i put that in my pocket and we i went over and met them on their boat and we went out and fished so we're getting on these big big fish big oversized fish and i'm like i i i'm like man we caught i think we caught like nine or ten reds on top waters and different we were just goofing off having a blast i said 
hey, you know, she's she. They were like, what do I, what do I tie on next? And I was like, I don't know what. And I pulled out of my pocket. I said, try this. <laughs> it was Landon's flounder fly, and uh, so I'm pulling. They're up in the front, and it's, they try to cast this thing, and it's like, you know. <laughs> It's fluttering through the wind and everything. It's like, holy, they're like, I can't even cast it. I was like, yeah, just get it out in front of it. So huge wakes coming down the shoreline, big wakes coming down the shoreline. And I just hear this, you know, this fluttering sound going through the air and it flops in the ground and the water and they start to strip and uh, boom, eight out of, I mean, eight. And I'm like, holy you know, I couldn't believe it. And it ate. It was, uh, we have photos of it. I think we sent them to Landon the next day. And I let her keep the fly. And it was a 32, 33 inch red. I, I you know, big 12 pound redfish ate that fly. Oh, man. Next day. Yeah, I gave it to her. So the flies kind of trickled down, you know. That, uh, that was pretty incredible. The fun, story. Fun time. Yeah, it was fun. The story on my end was I had seen that fly in a catalog, and you just get a picture. It's hard to see what a fly looks like. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it from now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. And I was like, oh, that looks like a flounder. I bet that'd be a deadly fly for redfish. Not realizing that it was just a patch of leather <laughs> on a hook. Yeah. So, I, so I ordered it into the shop. And the other guys at the shop are just giving it to me for ordering this, this fly. Because when you actually get it, it's pretty ridiculous. And you're like, how could you even cast this thing? And so when I went down to the coast with William, I had made a bet with those guys in the shop that I would catch fish on it. Well, it wasn't that I got, went into it thinking that this was going to be a basic fish catcher. It was that I had to, uh, I was doing it to win a bet and, uh, and, uh, and win an argument basically that it would actually catch a fish. Yeah. I think the most surprising thing about the deal is that, uh, I caught black drum on it. Uh, I would have thought I was like, oh, I can get a redfish to eat this, but the first two fish I caught on it were black drum, and uh, I was real surprised by that. That was that was funny. That was funny. 
man. Then, then I knew from then on out I had to watch this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, we keep trying to go out. I want to catch a redfish on top water so bad, and it seems like every time we have a trip planned to go together, the weather just isn't in our favor for it. Yep. And uh, I am like just dying to get a redfish on a popper. Well, we definitely need to do it. Uh, if fall time is the best time to do that, yeah. when the fish start uh, schooling up and, uh, you know, they're aggressively feeding to get offshore, you know, for the winter or whatever yeah. they're going to do. Uh, so they, they eat. Actually, uh, both Melanie and Jeff both got on top water, which I, I think I told you that. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, they both caught them. They beat me to it. I'm gonna have yeah. to. I'm gonna have to give them a hard time about it. Yeah, yeah. The hardest part with topwater and redfish is the way their mouth is designed. It's like they push and then they, with their big head, they're pushing the water, you know, so abrupt that it pushes the fly out of the way. They miss it, you know. So the hardest part is, is throwing the fly, popping it, popping it let it sit and once let the fish eat the fly and turn and go before you strip strip set you know you have to let it eat come up and eat and go mm -hmm. so it you have to kind of because when you first pop it and they explode on it it's a you know your adrenaline's like i'm gonna strip <laughs> set this thing you know and then you can't you gotta let it sit because if they miss it you gotta pop it again and let it come back you know and you see a lot of the topwater action in Louisiana, and if mm. you if you know the videos, uh, I mean, if you go to the Chandelier Islands uh, and you have a school of ten thousand redfish, uh, it's kind of easy to use topwaters, you know, or to pull to pull out these huge uh, ocean go, you know, big offshore fish, you know, these huge schools, and uh, in Texas, it's fun, you know. Uh, you catch a lot on gurglers and topwater. My brother does it. I mean, we all do it, but it it's about timing, mm. you know. And uh, and uh, I think the best time for that type of topwater action. I mean, you can catch them year round on it, but the most prolific is is in the fall when they're really feeding. They're schooled up. They're bunched up. They're aggressive, feeding on shrimp, you know. So they're already kind of actively on top but a single fish mm -hmm. on sand they're gonna like probably more likely like what's that you know uh, yeah go from there. uh how do you teach someone not to trout set on redfish well the the main thing is i tell them to if they're on if we're on the boat keep the rod in the water mm -hmm. you know keep the rod tip in the water uh it's hard to you know the the it, it there's a pause when you're trying to pull it out of the water you know not i'm saying submerge the rod but just the rod first six inches of the rod be stripping it in uh doing it that way same thing with your wade fishing if you throw and cast out i usually always keep my rod tip you know kind of in the water and let it form a straight line at the fish so that helps prevent uh trout's trout set scenario mm -hmm. it there's nothing you can do about it if they do it. You just have to tell them, hey, that was a trout set. Stop it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there's no, you'll never catch one doing that. You know. But then, again, uh, I've had situations where I'm 
teaching some of my clients and it's like, okay, there's a fish, you know, 10 feet from the boat. So you basically throw your fly. It's not a cast. It's just a throw. And then what do you do then? It's almost like you got to do some type of movement. And when they eat, they're right there. So you have to kind of, your only action is the trout set, but you got to, you got to advance to that point. That's when your fishing instincts come in, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and uh, that's a very important aspect after you learn to fly cast. It's like, you got to become fishy and know that, Hey, you got nine foot a liter, a nine foot rod. There's a fish nine foot away. You can't make that cast. What do, what do I do? I always hear that question. What do I do? And I was like, well, throw it at it, you know, whatever. (laughs) Get it in front of it, you know, toss it, you know. We can get them, you know, do, do what you got to do something, you know, because uh, it's amazing how many fish are that close. I would say don't spend a week in the Smokies trout setting on four to six inch fish. And then the next weekend, like three days later, go to the coast because then all you want to do is trout set the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, the, the thing is, is like trout set, they hit trout set, you know, the biggest thing with client with with new people is once they get online they have a death grip on the rod and the line i, I had one guy hooked up a big red and he was like poof and that red hit and almost did a backflip out of the water because i'm like he didn't let it go he's like, <laughs> I was like dude what are you doing you know let him run you know he's got to go <laughs> and he finally just blew popped off you know it's like let him go fight a fish you know <laughs> There's there's so many things that happen when you're a guide and you just you sometimes you kind of think you go over everything and the simple aspect of like once you hook it they don't you don't you think people naturally know what to do a lot of times they don't you know mm-hmm. it's like it's just this death grip on the line and I remember he's like holding on and he was but Rod was bent over and that fish was just doing like three sixties in the air it's like you can't do that you know. Crazy. Hey, William, uh, give us some guide horror stories. Uh, such as worse than the rattlesnake one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, what are some just some like crazy things that have happened to you as a guide, or maybe not even why you were guiding, just why you were fishing? It's like crazy, unbelievable stories. Oh, huh. and it doesn't even have to be about the fishing. Just maybe a character you met on the water, or uh... well, I mean, you know. I mean, you meet all types on the water, you know, and and y'all pretty much, Zach and Landon, y'all know me. I'm pretty laid back, so I don't get, you know, I just deal with the stuff. Uh, I never say anything negative on the boat because that's just not good. But so I'm not going to talk about the negative impacts I've had like boats running right next to me, you know. (laughs) You know, I've had, you know, where I'm wade fishing with clients and I've had bay boats run up on me and jump out and wade right next to me, like casting distance on them, you know. Uh, I was, me and a buddy went fishing, okay. He has this really, you know, I have a Hell's Bay Pro, and oh one, and it's, it's, I mean, it to me, it's like the Rolls Royce. And so my buddy. That's a nice boat. (laughs) So my my buddy has one, too. Also, uh, he's not a guide, but he fishes a lot. Really good fly fisherman. And he's like, here, you run my boat. 
and we were running into areas that uh, I I know you know really well, and I know how my boat runs. And uh, so his boat's a, a little different, not much. So one day I'm running, and we're oh, let's go back here. We so I'm in his boat, and I'm running his boat, going through these creeks and <laughs> all this stuff. Next thing you know, I come around this corner, and his whole back end of like I had the jack plate up a little too much, a little sit, and it the back end of the boat blew out coming around a corner. <laughs> so oh. you, it it's not gonna affect like as us. We didn't have any problem, but the boat went flying through the up into the grass, up into the, the reeds, <laughs> up into the thing, and I'm like, oh wow! <laughs> I turned off the engine, shut it all down, and we're like sitting a hundred you know 50 feet or 20 feet from the water <laughs> oh <laughs> man i was like that was interesting <laughs> yeah. and it, but if you knew the whole this boat is immaculate. i didn't want to run it to begin with because it's like it's an 04 hell's bay guide it is he keeps it like just like i keep buying like immaculate and so i'm like thinking oh my gosh here i am sitting up, up in the reeds in this you know with this guy on his his boat you know and uh he laughed and we laughed about it it wasn't a big deal because they're so light we just shoved it back in the creek and kept going you know but yeah you know so that was kind of a, a different experience don't really share that much with with clients but yeah it would happen you know it it happens you know uh you know i yeah it happens you know a lot of times i'll tell clients hey you know the tides have changed the water's dropped out you know brace yourself <laughs> you know you know because a lot of times they're just loose and you know one i was running my brother's boat this past summer is pretty crazy and uh this is always a funny moment you know it, as a, I'll give you a guide perspective, but I was running his boat and he's got an East Cape Cayman, sick boat, unbelievable, real brand new. So Lloyd Jones, another guide was fishing and we got, I was, it was September and uh, I was in some of the back lakes and all I saw was this black cloud just jet black, just built up, just solid black all to the north. I'm like, wow, that looks kind of scary. And I'm back, way back in the creek, back lake, back lake. And I'm like, I'm going to start pulling us out, guys. I said, we got to get braced for this. So I'm pulling as hard as I can. I got a couple of miles to get out of this lake. Hey, was that with me, William? No, no. it was Because we ran into a thunderstorm when me and my wife fished with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was. But this time, I was on my brother's boat, and uh, weather's always kind of, and you know, so I'm with. Uh, it's a younger uh, uh, father and son. Uh huh. And they're, you know, and I'm like, man, guys, this is gonna turn ugly quick. And I said, let's get out of here. So I'm pulling, pulling, trying to get out of here, you know. And they're still trying to throw up fish while I'm trying to like get out of here you know and it's like okay keep throwing but i'm gonna keep going if you hook up just i'm keeping going and uh we got to one of the main creeks where i could get up and get out of and right then and there it was like a wall of wind i mean it went from like zero to like 40 in like seconds 
And I'm like, oh man, we got to start running. And it was um, it was the end of our charter, so we took off and started running. And I'm in a skip, and it's rough. And uh, and um, you know, I'm talking to the client, and I'm trying to be, you know, oh yeah, it's great, you know, it's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're having a good time, you know. And then I turn this corner, and it actually was the first five miles wasn't bad. And then I was like, okay, I can run up here, you know, mentally. I'm thinking, okay, I need to run to this protected area, and then I'm going to have to cut across this bad area to get on a flat. So I, it got to three to four foot, you know, breaking waves, you know, <laughs> in uh, running across this part of the open bay. And I was, we were moving and we were, we were taking water completely over the entire skiff, just kapoosh. And I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, I just want to get across. I just, we need to make it out. And then they're thinking, Oh my God, this is so fun. You know, this is, <laughs> this is like, a, a carnival. <laughs> you know, the kids like all happy. And this is all that great. And I'm like, you know, my butt cheeks were like clamped down. <laughs> I was like stiff. I'm like, come on, baby, let's make it through it. <laughs> Next thing you know, I freaking come bust through one of the waves. And I had, I mean, I'm telling you, we had white water all over to bust oh, out no. of the flat. And my other buddy was on the flat already in his skiff fishing. And I blow through there and water was going everywhere. And he said, I looked like, you know, it was coming out of one of these like commercials, you know, that you see of <laughs> these crazy boat in the air clients you know freaking out but they were all laughing and uh and it was had just happened to be lloyd that was there a good friend of mine and so i'm like looking at him and i'm like 50 foot from him wide open through this through this shallower water <laughs> and he's like what's up man <laughs> I'm like, dude i'm sorry you need to go home mission's <laughs> yeah, over i just blew right through him and his clients and uh that was a pretty fun experience you know but it's just funny how they perceived it as fun and excitement. And here I am, the guy that's like, oh, my God, I just want to make it home. I, I have so many stories like that. It's like you get caught and I try not to. And it, it happens. And it's, it, you know, it's nerve wracking because you're you're in you know, their life. Everything's in their hands. Yeah. And, um, well, the weather changes so quick down there. And yeah. then the weather is not always accurate either. No, no. If it says there's no wind there's wind if, if they you know that's a big gripe with me it's like all these clients they sit there and they, they got all the apps you know it's like oh my god you know i booked you and uh you know it's it's uh it's showing 15 mile an hour winds and i'm like well you know to them that's drastic and i'm like saying man i am hoping it's 15 but i'm more than likely it's add 10 it's 25 and that's reality you know and they're like well what do you mean are we gonna be able to fish and i was like yeah i mean it's it's 90 degrees it's you know i fish every day you know unless it's unsafe but uh yeah the wind all the apps are wrong 90 percent of the times it's it's uh you know if it says 10 if it says 5 to 10 in the morning and then it says 10 to 15 in the afternoon then it's going to be 10 to 15 in the morning and it's going to be 20 to 25 in the afternoon you know so and, always add 10 oh add 10 <laughs> and that's the game and you know and it doesn't mean anything about 
what success is based on you, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, the wind apps are a big thing. It's like, well, weather is part of the game. It's like, what if you were in the Bahamas on a trip? Are you going to just cancel your trip to the Bahamas once you get there because it's windy? Right. It's like, no, let's fish. Learn how to do it. Deal with it, you know? That's, uh, if I can do it, you can do it. Or you need to learn how to, one of the two. <laughs> kind of my, you know, and, and that's a good teaching point, you know. Of course, I'd never take anybody that would be anything unsafe. Right. But, uh, generally, it's the wind's going to be blowing 20 to 25 in the afternoon. It's just, it's just going to happen. 15 to 20, 20 to 25. In the morning, it's going to, in the summer, the morning's going to be slicked out, mirrored. And I'm always asking, hey, you got your foul weather gear? And they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like a mirror. Trust me, you're going to need it later. <laughs> you're going to need it because it's going to get wet. Not that it's going to be unsafe or anything. It's just, yeah, you're going to get salt spray because you're going to have water coming on board. You know, it's going to uh -huh. waves going to be busted through waves, you know. No big deal. We do it every day. Yeah. Well, William, we went like way over time. We even made a decision that... Uh... We weren't even going to do the rest of our regular podcast because our conversation was going so well. Um, it's this been over awesome. an hour. Yeah, this has been great. Well, I'm sorry about that. No, <laughs> no, no. This is better. Yeah. No one wants to hear from us. They want to hear from you. <laughs> right. So this yeah. is our first long-form interview podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's just, you know, there's a lot of stories that I could share and stuff like that. But it's it just comes down to it's hey, we live in a great state. It's a great place to learn anything from freshwater to saltwater. The fishery's going to rebound. It always does. Nature has a strange way of taking care of itself, you know, and there's a reason for everything. Uh, you know, so we got to look at the positive side of things. It may be tough, but hey, that makes us tougher, you know. Uh, I think we'll, we'll have a great summer, a great spring, great fall, and uh, hopefully you know, people with more power and, you know, and the government can, will handle the situation correctly. If not, I'm not going to gripe. I'm going to go take my clients and have a great trip yeah. any way I can. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. So, um, you guys have anything that y'all want to add? Zach, Cliff, Ian? No, so I'm William. Thank you for being on. Where can uh, people, uh, where can people <laughs> work with you, William? Uh, I they usually call me, you know, can, a lot of my clients. Okay, sorry, it's delayed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, they usually call me, text me. Um, my number, do I say that? <laughs> yeah, say your number. Uh, uh, my number is 361-500-2788. Uh, you know, uh, they can reach me on my website, uh, www.lightandfly.com. Uh, L I G L I G H T A N D fly F L Y dot com. They can reach me there and then feel free to contact me. Uh, text is the easiest way, and then that way I can respond back. Uh, usually don't take a lot of calls on the water, but uh, yeah, that's the best way. Yeah, and we'll put all that information in the description so people can, we'll put your email and everything so people can use their preferred method of reaching out if they want to book a trip with you sure that's awesome that's awesome. Um, I, I appreciate it guys i enjoy yeah, it very much for sure hey before you hey zach can you get a, a a screenshot because the 
the recording uh, only shows one screen at a time, but I'd like to have like a picture of all of us on screen. Everybody, I forgot how to do a screenshot on Mac. I can make it up real quick though. Yeah, we'll give you a second. Um, if you guys uh, will leave a review for the podcast, we'd appreciate it. Um, we will read it on air, good, bad, or indifferent. And uh, you're entered to win a prize package. So go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And then if you guys want to check out any of the Honey Hole stuff, we just got some new whiskey glasses in um, and uh, some buffs and some other cool stuff you guys can find on our website. And then Cliff is going to be at the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. This, well, that doesn't even matter because this podcast is going to come out after the event's over. So we hope you guys said hi to Cliff at the event um, <laughs> because you guys are going to hear this on Tuesday and that's yep. going to be the wrong weekend. So uh, is that in Plano? That's yep. in, yeah, basically it's in Mesquite, I think. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <clears throat> uh, hey, everybody, what about everybody smile real quick. <laughs> good job all right we're good <laughs> is uh trout fest going on this year no, no trout fest got canceled gotcha. and uh i was gonna go to the event but uh the fly fishing and brew festival but i i got i got work to do so cliff's man in the show with my brother he's going to help out cool deal um William, we need to come in. I know me and McKenna need to come back and do another trip with you. And yeah. then I also, we've been, we've chatted before about getting a, a honey hole group out offshore. Cause I don't yeah. think any of us have offshore fished. Nope. Nope. And I'm going to be doing that. And uh, like I say, I'll send you some stuff on the new boat. And, uh, and so we'll be gearing up for that, you know, starting actually the end of March, April when the water gonna, starts getting was, about 68. I was going to ask, what's the timeline for that if people want to go offshore on the fly? Well, the best best uh, is is going to be for weather and everything would be June, July, August, September. You know that mm -hmm. type of time frame. Um, it's all, you know, when you do the offshore thing, it's kind of a twofold. We usually book multiple days. And that way, if one of the days is blown out or something, we can run in the flats, go fishing. Or if we're offshore and the weather comes up, we can take the boat and run offshore and go do a wade trip inside. So there's multiple op opportunities, but it, you got to have a few days to, uh, for weather. So that way we can get out. Just to pick yeah, a day. for sure. And usually it's a morning, morning, you know, we want to get out early and uh start getting back in early because the wind because the trade you know the winds we have here in the afternoon okay we'll be chasing looking for tarpon and all the big offshore species are you um only the only fly fishing offshore guide down there um down here obviously probably. we were advertising for you i'm just curious because i haven't seen anybody else that does that type of trip no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen it. I mean, there's a lot of guides out of Port O'Connor that do the tarpon thing, mm -hmm. but I'm going to look at chasing all the multiple species offshore, you know, from uh, it's just uh, like I say, I want my existing clients to have other opportunities and I want my new clients to be able to experience it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we'll be taking two people saying as a skiff, I'm not going to take any more on board, you know, uh, as far as that, just because 
fly rods. You, it doesn't matter yeah. how big the boat is, they're getting thrown around. Um, but, uh, you know, so, uh, so it'd be still groups of two, uh, the rates will be a little more cause it's just a little more work to get in and out of there. And, uh, but yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good, but it's best to do multiple days. And then that way, if we have to do a day in shore, we can, if, you know, for weather here in Texas. Cool. But yeah. So. That sounds great, William. Well, uh, we'll again, we'll make sure to put all the all of your information in the description, so that way they can find it when it comes out. And then uh, we'll put your Instagram and stuff there too, so everyone that couldn't see the fish kill that I showed on the um, on YouTube, if you guys are listening on the podcast app, then you guys can uh, you guys can go to his Instagram and look at look at his back channel. Um. All right, guys. Cool. Awesome. Well, nice for to meet coming. you, Ian, Cliff. Yeah, see absolutely, William. See yeah, you. I'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah, in a couple of weeks, hopefully we'll be we'll be getting on the. Flight. You guys keep rescheduling. I just the word out the street. <laughs> hey, I want to make sure he have, is he coming with his wife? It's all about her. It's not about Zach. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's I remember, true. She caught the fish the last time. <laughs> she did, man. She slayed it. She did great. <laughs> what? Per, how? How often do uh, the wives outfish the husbands? Oh What's yeah, I want to know that. Well, I don't know. It, uh, it it happens. It happens. <laughs> I'm not going to get involved with that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what yeah. you're a wise yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not answering that no. question. <laughs> Maybe. But uh, here's the thing: women pay attention more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't you think know they what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> women, women are good learners. They they listen. It's funny, you know. I a, a man will say, "Oh yeah, I know how to do all that." So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much. It's like I'll say one thing, and we'll, you know, when I get a client calls me, I say, "Hey, what's your experience level?" Oh, I'm a novice. That's <laughs> that's the lowest a guy I go. I'm a novice. <laughs> and, and the one novice I got on my boat and I saw him cast, I was like, dude, you said you're a novice. What 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 categorizes it? He goes, oh, I borrowed my friend's rod and cast it in his backyard before I came. <laughs> I was like, okay. All right. Well, I need to clarify that a little bit more, you know. It's but a woman, I'll say, wait, what level do you have? Because I, I have a lot of women that come in and uh, work with, you know, and they say They'll tell you right up, hey, I'm a beginner. I've never done this before. But a man, it's like, man, I'm a novice. You know? <laughs> you know I'm a, almost an expert, but, you know, maybe a little on the novice side. But I'm getting there. Yeah. It's like, he saw a fly rod at a fly shop, and it was automatic. He pictured it. I watched rivers run through it, and I, I've done it. You know? And I'm going bread fishing. Yeah. 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 Oh, Cliff's trying to talk, but we can't hear you, Cliff. <laughs> well, y'all call. Y'all let me know. I'll, I'll jump on another time. Oh, so next good. time we want to have you live. We'll uh, we'll make sure, or when we come yeah. down to do the offshore trip, we'll bring the podcast equipment and we'll we'll do yeah. about our trip, and it'll be a good time. We'll bring the whiskey out. And... Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds. We'll have a barbecue here at the house. Oh yeah, that, that sounds, sounds great. great. Let's do all that and get all y'all involved. No, I appreciate it all. And always, Landon, appreciate what you've done for me, you know. 
uh, it's been a, you put a lot of work into helping me out with the Orvis and everything else. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And we appreciate you helping us out with this podcast. So you got it, it, bud. All right, guys, we'll see y'all next week. Um, y'all go out and catch some fish. (laughs) See y'all out. See y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.